0: Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you, move your mouth, I bet you come from way down south. don't tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good.
0: Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: And good morning and welcome to Talk Money. Talk Money is about investing, retirement, estate planning, and your insurance needs. It's, of course, everything financial. Our guests bring their insights and their perspectives about their topic of expertise. Remember, it's not about the plan. It's about the results. Well, the stock market reached new highs this past week. Yes, confusing times for investors, no doubt about it. Investors have long ignored the escalating political drama, which continues to roll out of Washington. But the prospects for meaningful tax reform and tax cuts have all but gone by the wayside. The U.S. dollar has continued to decline, and the value we believe, you know, as far as declining in value, that's a good thing. We believe it's going to prove to be more beneficial than negative to us, the investor. Remember, keep your politics out of your investment portfolio. That is always wise counsel. Here's something to remember. Did you know August the 5th, the 6th year anniversary since the U.S. was downgraded by the S&P 500 from a top credit rating? That was on August the 5th of 2011. The index, the S&P 500, fell 6.6% and over 15% not only the following day, but for the following three weeks after that particular announcement. And now since the downgrade, the U.S. Treasury note has fallen from 2.57% to 2.29%, which is not supposed to happen when your credit rating goes down. So, hey, guys, the U.S. still continues to be a good buy. Since that date of August the 5th of 2011, the S&P has gained 134%. Uh, you know it just means you're still investing in great companies in the united states the s&p 500 has gone 324 calendar days without a 2% correction one that's a greater than a one day drop now that's a pretty long stretch guys the tumble for 2% that's since 2007 2007 february the 27th of 2007 actually nearly 10 and a half years of course i got to tell you past performance is not An indication of future performance. Here's some additional information I think you'll find to be interesting. 70.7 million homeowners in the United States, that's a lot of people owning homes, 30.6 million have no housing debt. No housing debt. They're debt-free when it comes to owning a house. They own their house, and that's a good thing. Of the 45.1 million homeowners that have a debt on their home, only... 1.8 1.8 have a mortgage about that exceeds the value of their home. Then we call that house being somebody who is underwater. And of course, that number, if you go back to um, 2010 after the Great Recession, the Census Bureau tells us when you compare 1.8 million today and 2010, it was 15.1 million where they were underwater with their house. of Americans have no emergency fund. 31% have enough money, they say, to cover their expenses for six months or more. So, hey, that's what this is all about. You're listening to Talk Money. We're going to talk more about investing, retirement, estate planning, and your insurance needs. When we come back, do you have a great employee, the perfect choice for the management opening? If you promote her, will she do a great job with that position? Well, we're going to be talking to Bridget Desello, and she is going to tell us the five mistakes owners make when promoting from within. Don't forget, that's important. We're going to, we're going to dive into that. That's kind of important information. In the second half, the Department of Labor fiduciary rule. Now, what does that mean? Well, i got Tommy Armstrong, compliance officer for Shoemaker Financial. You're going to find out what it means to be protected by the fiduciary rule. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990, FM FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
0: of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this.
1: Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help
0: you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Bridget Cicello is not affiliated with Shoemaker Financial or Securing Financial Services. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Welcome back to Talk Money. Talk Money is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm, Estate Planning Elder Law, and Probate. Planning for all generations. We continue to thank Mac Bailey and his team for what they do for us and, of course, what they do for their clients. Well, have you got a great employee? Somebody who you look at it as a perfect choice for that management opening in your firm and your business? And they got the talents, the skill, they focus on results, their strategic expertise, all of the customer service systems, they got it. I mean, they've got the package. Okay, why then are they not doing such a good job? I mean, almost a terrible job. They're not being a good manager. Well, that's uh did you make a bad choice? Well, my guest is an author. She is a coach. She is an expert when it comes to making these kind of decisions. You want to pay attention to what we're going to be talking about these are questions that you need to ask about when you go through that process of promoting the next person. Bridget Cicello is. She is a speaker, a she is a business coach, and an author, and welcome to the program, lady. We're glad to have you.
3: Good morning, Jim. Great to be here. Let me
2: ask you a question. Bridget, when you talk about this, mistakes that owners make when promoting from within. Now, most of us, when you talk to a manager today in a company, I would say, Or at least I would indicate that most people want to promote from within than going outside. That's culture. It's you've been watching and observing
3: and it's a reward. It sure is, and a lot of people, that's what they're looking for as they're growing in their career, is to receive a promotion someday.
2: Exactly, and so that's what they're striving for. Now let's talk about this. You've you've gone through the process. I mean, talent, skills, I mentioned this earlier, they focus on results, they've got great customer service, they're, they're systems-oriented, they're strategic. I mean, they look like they're the perfect candidate. And you promote them, you assume that all that expertise that they would absolutely move directly into that management role, and excel at it. And yet it didn't happen. What what What's the problem?
3: And you know what, Jim? It doesn't happen about 95% of the time without some sort of help. But what happened is you took somebody who knew how to do the tasks well. They did the job really well, and you're going to take them out of that job. We're going to put them in a whole different job. Sometimes we see the manager job as just the best performer, but it's not. It's a whole different set of skills. It's, how, do I understand the big picture? Do I understand the people? And so we've really got to stop and create a, a training outline for that person and realize how different that job is, the manager job, from being an employee. We've got to teach them how to connect with people how to inspire people to do better isn't that what you want your manager to do?
2: You know, you think about that. That's so that is so simple to just say, that's it. I want my manager to inspire people get the job done and move on. Why you set a, a training outline wouldn't that not be normal? I mean, wouldn't you think that the, the guy's going to be promoted? His boss is going to say, we're going to develop you. But you find that that's not the case where they just kind of, okay, you're promoted. Now, see you later. Talk to you later. Give me give me good results and see you next week or something.
3: And you know what? I've worked with companies in many different industries and in many different sizes. And no, it's not common at all. Because really, we have to find the time To sit down and outline what it takes to do this job well. And that's sometimes that's real hard to do for the boss. I mean, to and to identify what does it take. I don't know, this guy's been here forever and he did a great job, but sometimes it's hard to put our finger on what it takes to be a good manager.
2: So we talk about, we assume that the natural skill set is there. And you're saying to me, not always. And so the training outline has got to take those natural skills that you've been observing. But polish them into being more effective in the new role. That's not easy.
3: It's not easy. And sometimes there are skills that they have never used before. Because I, I know we've all worked with somebody who's been really good at doing a certain task, really good, really good salesman. Often make terrible sales managers because what it takes to manage people is often not what it takes to sell.
2: That's a good point. That's in fact, and that can sometimes create a guy that gets promoted and finds himself almost failing because he thought, if I can do this, I can definitely do that.
3: Sure. And if the sales manager is getting a percentage of everybody's sales and that, oh, I can earn more money here. But you know what? A lot of times a sales manager ends up miserable if you don't, you take your great performer and you make him really hate his job.
2: You know, does that mean that sometimes a guy who maybe is not, just using sales as an example, who's not the greatest salesman could make a great manager?
3: Very true. However, we have to take somebody that people respect who understands sales because some of management is teaching everybody else how to do it.
2: That's a good point. So
3: there's a definite balance in there. You can't always take your top performer. But you've got to take somebody with definitely some sales strengths.
2: All right. And if you just tuned in, I'm talking with Bridget DeSello. And she is she is a coach, a business coach, speaker, and author here in Memphis. Her telephone number is 901-628-3207 if you'd like to give her a call. And maybe you've got some concerns or questions. Maybe you've just been promoted or you're thinking about promoting someone and you just need some You know, outside counsel, give her a call. Telephone number again, 901-628-3207. And we talked about mistakes that people make, business owners, business managers, you know, people involved in in making decisions when they promote somebody from within the company. We talked about the fact that we assume they've got the expertise. We feel like they've got natural skills. We're just going to capture that. And Bridget, you're telling us, number one, Create a training outline, spend the time with this person, do what you've got to do to get them to that level that you really want them to. They have the skill set, you know that, you've identified it, but you've got to coach them.
3: Yes, and you have to provide them the resources to become a better manager. Now, if you're a great coach of people as their boss, you can coach them on how to be a better manager. If not, get them some help. Send us some classes. Get them a coach. Help them to learn those management skills. They're totally different skills than what they've been doing in the job.
2: In your experience in coaching throughout the Mid-South and where you're working with people, in fact, all over the United States, when you're working with people, do you find that, and I'm just thinking in my own experience, that sometimes we don't set clear expectations. I mean, we think we do. My wife, I shouldn't say this. But probably it's okay. She's, I don't think, listening today, at this particular time, she'll listen later. Uh, I don't communicate according to her. I, I mean, I don't complete sentences according to her. And most of the time, just the other day, we were talking about tables, and I said, well, we've gotten rid of the small tables. Well, that was enough for me, small tables. Well, then she said, well, do you want to keep this one or what? And I said, well, the small tables are all broken. And, well, the whole thing was these small tables that I was talking about, were actually destroyed small tables. But I didn't say that. I didn't clearly define that. Now, do you find that sometimes people, Bridget, don't clearly communicate expectations? Or let's just stop with the expectations. Let's say clearly communicate?
3: Sometimes, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) There is a tremendous distance from your head to your mouth. I know it only looks like a few inches, but from your brain to your mouth is a huge distance. and Almost all the time, every manager can look at themselves and say, what is it that I want to happen that is not happening? And then they have to stop and say, when did I tell somebody that? Did I actually communicate? Because so often it doesn't. We're busy. We're working. We're doing stuff. We don't have time to sit down and talk all the time. But when something isn't going the way we want, especially if a newly promoted manager is not doing what we want them to do, we have to stop and say, did I communicate that? Ideal world, we communicate it all up front, but that doesn't always happen. So we got to communicate ongoing and tell them, hey, this is not what I expect. This is what I expect.
2: All right. Now, when we talk about communication and clearly communicating what's expected, do you find when you sit down with a manager or or person that's actually doing the promotions, do they admit to themselves that maybe I didn't communicate, or do we have a tendency— to have our egos get in the way and say they just were not listening. Do you find that to be the case? I hope I'm not talking about anybody, but uh, if I am, uh, read it and weep. You know, you're the person I'm talking to. Does that happen?
3: It is often very, very, very hard to see what you are not communicating, which is why I, I tend to be kind of a structured person. And so I always suggest stop, make a list of everything that's annoying you, and then let's check those off one at a time and see maybe you did. I mean, it's not always the manager's fault. No, right?
2: no, I get You know, it.
3: sometimes you did communicate and it's just not happening. But then part of that management skill that everybody's got to learn is if I communicate and it's not happening, how do I figure out why? You know, I mean, that's that next step. How do I figure out why and, and help that person through whatever obstacle, whatever's holding them up? If I did communicate already, but sometimes what you communicate is not what's received. So we've really got to check that that message has gone all the way through. Okay,
2: so when you say check, give me an example of what you say when you say check to see if it's been received.
3: Well, if we're going to communicate that we want something done a certain way, I might ask the the employee or the manager that I'm managing, what's the first step you're going to take? How are you going to approach this? What what difficulty do you think you're going to run into? I'm going to ask them to think. I'm going to ask them to think about how they would do it because it's... It's easy enough to say, Oh, sure, I'll do that. I got that, Jim. I can take care of that for you. You have no idea if I received your message or not. If you get me to talk about it, even for just a minute, just talk about it. You're engaging my brain. And I'm gonna start to go, um, well, Jim, I, I don't know if I really understand what you just said. All right,
2: now let me stop you because here we got here we've got I can sense that would be the ideal world. But here's the boss in his big leather chair, and he's talking to this new appointed manager, maybe been doing it for 30, 60, 90 days, not real comfortable. And the boss says, I need you to do this. Now, what's the natural response of the of that new manager?
3: <laughs> yes, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I, <laughs> I got, got it. it.
2: And he walks out the door. Now, he may think he's got it. But most manager, most bosses, let's put it in the, where they are, He said, yes, sir, he's got it. I'm done. I'm moving on to the next project because I got 16 other people going to come in and I got to make sure. How does that matter? You said ask the questions, engage them and make sure they understand. What if that person, the new appointed person, is struggling just to say, I don't get it? Because doesn't that sound like I'm, I'm weak? I'm not really good at this.
3: A lot of times that's not going to come from the newly promoted person. I'm going to put that responsibility squarely in the lap of the boss okay. and say, you've got to have the intellectual humility to have a conversation and say, we need to talk about this. And yeah, let me, and it may let me be write that word and... down.
2: Intellectual humility. <laughs> that's a big word. We'll get that one down. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's a biggie. Intellectual humility. Go ahead.
3: And you know what I tell I tell most bosses, if you're not bored to some extent with management, you're probably not doing it right because you want to tell somebody to do something and move on to the other 16 things on your plate. But it's going to take just that little bit of, Ugh, OK, I've got to talk to him just to make sure they got it, because otherwise they're going to go away. They're not going to succeed. They're going to be frustrated. You're not going to be happy with them. You're going to have to go fix the problem later. Yeah. Take a few minutes right now, and maybe it's extreme to say you're going to be bored, but <laughs> this stuff is might be easy for the boss. So you got to stop and talk about it longer than you want.
2: Well, if you just tuned in, boy, this lady is is very passionate about what you do, and, and no, Bridget, that's important because uh, it I is. Think, I think it's critical that that when we do something that we are passionate about, what we do. If you just tuned in, I'm talking with Bridget DeShello, and she is a business coach speaker. And author. And her telephone number, 901 628 3207. 901 628 3207. Now we've talked about three specific things that that we're dealing with. If you promoted somebody, you got to coach them. You got to get them, help them be successful. She's talked about the fact that you assume they've got the, the skills. She said, "Okay, make sure you're training them. Make sure that you're identifying what they're working on and getting those things to move in the areas that they see that they're weak." She's talking about helping you helping them to do that, and then clearly, clearly, clearly communicate, communicate communicate. Very important. What are your expectations? Make sure you're doing that. When we come back, she's got a couple of more that you need to know and pay attention to. You've promoted somebody. Now you want to make sure they succeed at it. And if you happen to be the person that's been promoted, you want to know, what should you be encouraging your boss to do? Stay with us. You're listening to Talk Money. FM 107.9 and AM 990, The Voice. Talk Radio for the Mid-South. We'll be right back after this.
0: Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. You're listening to Talk Money. Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to, of course, Talk Money. My guest, Bridget DiCello. She is a business coach, speaker, and author. And if you want to just uh, go online with her, Bridget at BridgetDiCello.com. That's uh, Bridget at Bridget, D-I-C-E-L-L-O. That's D I C E L L O dot com. Six two eight three two O seven. Now, Bridget, let me let me come back to you and ask you a question. When we talked about training and stuff like that and all the things that go on, okay, you're talking about guidelines and, and holding them accountable and and really working on expectations. We're so talking about hiring someone that is you thought would be a great fit and they're not. And then you find out that they're uh, a problem with them, you know, later on. And uh, that sometimes is the issue that you have to have that make it work. All right. Now, if we're going to do that, if we're moving through that process and we're, you've got a push pull, you got the manager that's expecting. I mean, really, if they're not working together, usually there's a real problem going on. Okay. And there's just that. You could tell. And the word accountability comes up. Oh, I'm going to hold you accountable. Or, or nobody's holding me accountable. You know what I'm saying? It, it's kind of you hear that word. A lot. A yes. lot. And it's sometimes a word that can be, I think, a little too much of a ball and chain mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard a person use the word the other day. Well, I'm going to hold him accountable. I'm going to use the hammer. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. What mean? So how do you help someone know the the, the art of holding somebody accountable, what would you how would you coach them?
3: well Jim let me let me start by saying that you can do everything else wrong that we talked about and then fix it if you hold people accountable okay well. that's good <laughs> and so the accountability true it often comes with that negative connotation yeah it does but it's not it's a conversation and so as this manager grows in their management position they have to have routine feedback from their boss. And that's got to be in some sort of structure. So I'm a big proponent that every every direct report should meet with their manager every month. Now, Mm -hmm. that seems like a lot. But how much would it take just to spend a little bit of time with that person and say, hey, here's what you're doing well. Here's what I'm seeing that you could be doing differently. And they say, oh, well, I never knew that. Well, I told you six times, but you're learning a whole lot. So Mm -hmm. let's, let's clarify that. But then also that person comes prepared. And they say, well, I've got my training outline, and this is what you told me. Here's what I think I'm doing well, and here's what I'm still struggling with. Jim, can you help me with this? I'm still struggling. And if they only have to do that once, a lot of times employees wait for for their boss to go away. Managers do too. They say you need to do this, and they figure, well, if I if I put it off long enough, they'll probably go away. Because honestly, following up with people is pretty tiring, <laughs> and so yeah, I agree. Routine feedback so important.
2: All right, so we we talk about you talk about tweaking that performance, and, and just do it regularly, once a month. You know, make sure that don't wait for the crisis. Do it when it's uh, normal, uh, conversational. Is there a place to do it? Would you say to somebody, hey, if you're gonna do this feedback with this manager, should it be done, can you do it over lunch? Should it be done nine o'clock in the person's office? Or what would you suggest to someone? Is there a better place or a really don't do it there?
3: You know, I've I've seen I've seen all kinds of things work. First of all, it's gotta be just the manager and the or the boss and the manager. It's yes. just gotta be the two of them. So that's gotta be a private place. So somebody's lunch doesn't do that. It is a serious conversation. It can be fun. It can be, uh, we're not beating them up. We're not using the hammer, but it's a serious conversation. I want them to come prepared. I want them to come ready to talk about the things that they're doing. So, um, but, but, you know, I have one client who says, hey, we got to go out for coffee because, you know, my employees are scared of me in my office. I got to, I got to go out and, you know, and it's not, it's, it's, every environment's a little bit different. But one one of the most important things is that that person knows that it's going to happen every month. And they know that you're not gonna walk away mm-hmm. and you're not gonna go away that, that every month and because whatever you tell them they have to report every month, they're gonna start paying attention to during the month. And then we're changing behavior. And isn't that what we want that's in the first place? That's good. That meeting doesn't change behavior. It's the preparation for and the follow up after that that's, actually that's changes. Great. Impor-
2: that's important information. Last but definitely not least, and you mentioned to us when we were preparing for the program, is to get the person to think. And that's, you would think that would be so easy and so normal. And yet you indicated that uh, maybe that sometimes that's never done. It's
3: one of the five because we don't, we want to tell people, here's what you need to do. Does that make sense, Jim? Yep. I got it. But Jim, talk to me about that for a minute. Let's just talk for just a minute. Asking questions. Usually the people that rise up to boss or the owners of small companies are very driven. They don't want to sit around and talk about stuff forever. They want to tell you what to do and move on. Let's go. But if you can stop and ask questions, I actually have a list of questions I send people. This is how you talk to people, Mm. you know, instead of just telling them what to do and walk away. Hey, what'd you think about that? Tell me a little bit more about that. Let's, let's think through that. What are you going to do first? What are you going to do next? All of those make people think. And if we don't ask them to, it's not like we're not thinking every day, but we're not going to think any deeper than we would naturally without the boss's help.
2: Wow. That's, that's powerful information. Bridget DiCello is the, is a business coach, speaker, and author. Bridget at Bridget, and I'm going to spell her last name, D-I-C-E-L-L-O.com. Then you just simply go online or give her a call at 628-3207. Bridget, two minutes, summarize for me. What, what are you saying to not only the manager that's been promoted, I got, you know, he's trying to get coached and all this, and the boss, Who's promoted, what would you how would you conclude this conversation?
3: I think the most important thing for both of them is that they are having conversations. A lot of people avoid conversations and real conversations. I need to ask you a question. I need to make sure I'm getting an answer. How are you doing? Fine. That's not a conversation. How are you how is this working? Tell me how this project is working. So specific questions from the boss, but also the manager, if they don't understand. If I ask the boss a question, as that manager, and he, well, you don't know that. What's wrong? I've got to let that roll off. And I'm going to say, you know what? I don't understand. And I'm not going to until you help me. Mm. And we don't need to get sarcastic or mean or anything else. But if we're not talking to each other and having real conversations, the boss is going to end up disappointed. The manager is going to end up frustrated. And you know what? Everything he learned, he's going to take it and go somewhere else. Mm. (laughs) Be a better manager for them.
2: Great. Great, great information. And uh, just remind everybody, you can simply call her at 628-3207. Business coach, speaker, and author, Bridget DiCello. And she is can be reached at www.bridgetdicello.com. It's Bridget at D-I-C-E-L-L-O.com. Bridget, thank you so much. I appreciate you being a part of today's program and brought your passion. And I know it's your passion because you do it and you've been doing it a long time here in the Mid-South as a personal coach and business coach and speaker, and uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jim. Well, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Talk Money. That's, uh, that's what we're doing. We're talking about finances, talking about money, talking about coaching. Well, coming up in the second half of the program, we're going to introduce you to a new law. That is, in effect, that is going to change the way you think about some things you do from an investment standpoint. Maybe it's your retirement plan. Tommy Armstrong, Chief Compliance Officer Shoemaker Financial, he is going to discuss the new DOL, Department of Labor, fiduciary law. Now, I'm just using some big terms. He's going to break them all down for us and literally find out what it means to be protected by the DOL. Okay, that's a big, big mouthful. You're listening, of course, to FM 107.9 and AM 990, The Voice, talk radio for the Mid-South. This is Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and we'll be right back after this. Thank you.
0: of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this.
4: St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is a true testament to the power of promises. As a struggling young actor, Danny Thomas made a vow that he would build a shrine to St. Jude, the patron saint of hopeless causes, if he ever found success. After hearing a story of an African-American boy in the South who died after a segregated hospital refused to admit him, Thomas decided to fulfill his vow by building a children's hospital in the South. At the urging of Bishop Samuel Stritch and in partnership with Dr. Lemuel Diggs, both of whom had strong ties to the Mid-South, Thomas chose Memphis for the site of his hospital. After establishing the American-Lebanese-Syrian-Associated Charities in 1957, Thomas saw the opening of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital five years later. Since that time, breakthroughs at St. Jude have increased the survival rate for the most common form of childhood leukemia from 4% to 94%, making St. Jude a recognized leader in the treatment of cancer. St. Jude has saved and improved the lives of children from all over the world, and it all began with one man's act of gratitude. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial
0: you're listening to talk money jim shoemaker and tommy armstrong are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and financial services incorporated securities dealer member finra sipc a registered investment advisor shoemaker financial is independently owned and operated and now here's your host jim shoemaker
2: And welcome back to Talk Money. Tommy Armstrong is my guest coming up in this portion of the program. He is the Director of Compliance at Shoemaker Financial. We're talking about the DOL fiduciary rule. It will impact your life. It will play an important part. And if you haven't been listening or reading about it, we're going to try to give you enough information to understand it and how it will impact you. And we are going to cover this in a hurry because there's a lot of information. First and foremost, Tommy, welcome to the program. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for letting me be here. Well, you know, Guy, let me ask you this. What is, when I say the Department of Labor, what is the Department of Labor for
5: our listeners? Well, the Department of Labor was established by President Taft in 1913, and its stated mission is to be responsible for the occupational safety, wage and hour standards, unemployment insurance benefits, re-employment services, and some economic statistics. Bottom line,
2: take care of the employee, right? Absolutely. Well, all right. So now if we understand that the Department of Labor is there as a governing body for corporations to protect, that word protect is big, employees rank and file in in the process of working for a big corporation, or any corporation for that matter. Any, right. any, anything within the
5: employee-employer relationship, the DOL has jurisdiction. Over. Absolutely. And
2: I've actually sat in a couple of conferences and, and actually had to deal with a couple of things with the department, not in our company, but in some of the things we work with, they can be extremely helpful or yes. they can be, it's kind of like the IRS. I mean, you know, they are a governing body and they can play hardball if they so desire.
5: Well the you know the, the, the homer
2: comment is it's all about compliance. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Uh that's coming from a compliance officer. There you so go. you know that's what you think about? All right, let's talk about this. What is this new DOL fiduciary rule? Okay.
5: For those employees who have been participants in a four hundred one K plan with their employer, they have been protected by fiduciary standard from the Department of Labor. Since approximately 1974, the the IRS was responsible for compliance on retirement plans prior to that date. Between 1959 and 1974, ERISA was enacted, which enabled the DOL to proclaim a fiduciary standard over employers and their employees 401k accounts.
2: So the, the, the employer all of a sudden had to be a fiduciary. Yes. Now, the reco- this rule now requires that financial advisors have a fiduciary responsibility.
5: It is it is designed to apply the same fiduciary responsibility held by the employer to a private financial advisor giving advice on retirement accounts for individuals.
2: All right. Now, 31% of the in a recent survey by the, the federal, by the... Uh, Census Bureau said that 31 percent are not prepared for retirement. So we're talking about people, rank and file, everyday people putting money into their 401k plan, finding out they're not prepared for retirement. So when you talk about fiduciary, I know we'd say it, it's do what's the best in, the, you know, the best interest of their client when we use that word fiduciary. So why do you see this rule being necessary tommy why, why was it enacted the law was enacted because
5: as individuals find themselves not being as ready for retirement as they want to as they leave the employment workforce and try to obtain advice on their retirement assets they they reach out to get that advice that they that they obviously need. From any place they can find any it. Any place they can find it. And the, the financial enormity of the number involved, the government identified that as $17 trillion. Wow. That's chump change, by the way. A lot of money. No. <laughs> and and the, the government identified in the workup to this regulation that of that $17 trillion in... Retirement assets that were coming under private advice that non fiduciary or conflicted advice was costing that block of money approximately one percent each year. Wow, so the cost to the the failure to protect the individual investor. Is costing the individual investor approximately one percent of seventeen trillion dollars every year.
2: That's a, that's a, now that's now now we're talking about serious. I mean the whole thing serious. So the Department of Labor says, okay, we're going to go out here. We're going to create a person who is a fiduciary. It's a legal term. It states that one person owes another person a legal and ethical obligation to act on that person's best interest.
5: Best interest.
2: Uh, Now, that's a critical point here. That's where, here we are, I'm retiring, or I've got money, and I want somebody, that person's supposed to act on my behalf.
5: That person is required to give you advice that is in your best interest. Okay. Best interest is defined under the law as advice that is solely for the benefit of the retirement savior, and savor and has no financial positive impact on the person giving the advice.
2: All right. I Here's what my concern is. I just got this in the mail, and it's inviting me to, you know, steak and dinner, you know, go here. And, I mean, it was all over the place. And, and, oh, my retirement plan's in shambles and, you know, this. And it told me all kind of things. And I, I looked, and I read this person's name, and I said, okay, well, all right. And this person had was not affiliated i mean i don't know where he's coming i don't know he said that he was not going to sell anything at this dinner i don't know if he's going to buy me a dinner for just being there and i asked my wife is going to buy me a dinner if he thought me just good looking and she said not a chance so the reality was something's going on there and yet i, I show up i get dinner nice place too you know steaks and nice place somewhere in there he's trying to sell me something but he's not under any regulatory body. He didn't identify a regulatory body. Would he be subject to this rule, or is it only p- people that are licensed, regulated by something in this area that's that's doing something like it, or is he just avoided that?
5: Okay. Well, one of the one of the positive aspects of the rule is that it does apply, and and is enforceable against any individual who provides advice for a fee to a retirement
2: account. Is a commission, in this case, considered a fee? Yes. Yeah, I think you need to hear that. I, in other words, that's important. I mean, you're saying that that if a person is getting advice for a fee or a commission about his retirement dollars... being is, paid being, being paid in any way... Okay, that's receiving a commission or advice. Then that person falls under this do the best thing for the client this fiduciary rule the the
5: individual retirement saver has the expectation of being protected by the
2: rule in that situation all right now i guess my question being we're saying we're throwing a big blanket over this does does this apply to to 401k money or any money who does it apply to
5: as long as the money is in the 401k your employer, and anyone that they have working with them has fiduciary status and you have the protections of the DOL fiduciary regulations. The new regulations apply when the money is brought out of the 401k account under a new advice relationship that the person
2: giving the advice will be paid for. All right, now let's make sure everybody understands. If you're buying a product, and let me make sure brokerage, uh, investment work where you investment advisor for a fee yes uh, uh annuities using retirement money money We're using retirement money and life insurance where you 're using money out of the life insurance policy to you know as a qualified money to pay premiums right if if you are receiving advice to use your retirement savings to go
5: into life insurance that is covered by the fiduciary protection
2: okay, so we need to make sure the products we've discussed the products all right what I guess when we come back i think I really want you to dive into this with me tommy okay when we come back, what does this rule require my financial advisor to do that's i feel like that everybody says okay i got this i got a hold a guy accountable he's a fiduciary he's supposed to do what's best for me it's my retirement money you've thrown some big numbers trillions of dollars one percent but reality what am i supposed to expect from this guy who's giving me advice I want you to explain that to our listeners. Excellent conversation for our clients. All right, let's do that. When you're listening, of course, to Talk Money, when we come back, it's Tommy Armstrong. He is the Director of Compliance at Shoemaker Financial. We're talking about the Department of Labor fiduciary rule. When does it become effective? When do you need to know all there is to know about it? Okay, Uh, that's important for you to know. We'll be back when you're listening to Talk Money. We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you.
0: Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this.
1: Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you
0: with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. to search Shoemaker Financial. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: All right, we're talking to Tommy Armstrong, Director of Compliance at Shoemaker Financial. If you've got a question for Tommy about the Department of Labor new rule, uh, the fiduciary rule, this, uh, just give him a call at 757-5757. Tommy, let me... Let me I'm just, i just going to mean I really kind of want to know this. Why or what does the rule require a financial advisor to do? I mean that's that's critical. What does it require?
5: All right. Well, first off, let's reiterate that as of June ninth, twenty seventeen, the best interest standard that we are discussing today is in force, and and our our clients and retirement savers should be should be challenging their advisors to, to explain how they are responding and serving the fiduciary standard on their account. Okay, their that's, that's critical. So
2: as of this year, June 19th, this it's law on. went into effect. It's on. All right, good enough. So tell me what, you know, What when you say require, you say ask in best interest of their clients, put their client's interest above their own. But talk about that. Okay, well, the, the,
5: the requirements of the regulation that are being placed on financial advisors giving advice for a fee we have to document in in our internal documentation in our interactions with the client that we are acting that we have processes in place to act in the best interest of our client to put the client's interest ahead of our own and and engage in solutions that where we are compensated for a fee that are demonstrably clear in the best interest of the client.
2: You know, I wish I could say that in our industry, that would not have had to have happened. But in reality, it did, because that was not always the case. I've had to come in behind some people that I literally would like to have taken to the woodshed on some cases. And again, that's I'm not going to criticize anybody, but there are good planners and not-so-good planners. And the reality is the government... Stepped in and said, "We're going to put a playing field, and you're going to re- be required to do the following." And that's what they've done with this rule. That, went in effect, again, June the nineteenth of two thousand seventeen. What should a client, person listening right now, what should they ad- ask their advisor?
5: Well, let me let me reclarify a, a little bit about uh, the why the law got put in place. The 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 government alleged that. One percent of seventeen trillion was being mishandled every year by by bad advice. There were multiple. De- there are multiple definitions of fiduciary uh, throughout the private sector and the regulatory industry. Just because
2: you can spell it does not make you one.
5: Exactly. Exactly. Many brokers and advisors uh, have been claiming that they've been doing this. They've been doing a fiduciary standard all along. That may or may not be true. The DOL rule makes this standard the law of the land, and it's enforceable through private private lawsuits if a retirement investor believes him or herself to have been harmed by the
2: advice that they paid for. Okay, so harm, if they believe there's some action you can take. Yes. All right, yeah. Tommy, let me ask you this. How does yeah. a comprehensive – we do comprehensive financial planning. We do something where we're doing a, a, an elaborate retirement analysis for somebody. And I know this is done by a lot of professional advisors. As CFPs, you CFP, I'm a CFP, provide How do we do that? What does that do, this professional mindset? When we align, what we do for that, how does that work out with the DOL's fiduciary rule? Well, the individual who bought you dinner had – one product He didn't buy me dinner. Okay. Let's make sure. okay. Okay. He, he wanted to buy me dinner. The,
5: the individual who wanted to buy you dinner has one product and one product only and it is and it is used and deployed in every situation as a as a one size fits all solution. Right. A comprehensive financial plan is in no means a one size fits all solution. It is a tailored financial analysis that brings the entire picture of what you have in place as a human being, as a family, what you want to do as a human being and a family. And and then and only then, if a product is involved, is it brought to the table as part of a solution to help you achieve goals, which we do believe can be documented as being in your best interest. And under a clear and and understandable fee structure of who's getting paid how and why
2: full disclosure is what you're saying absolutely just 100% that's what the i think a person needs to understand that's what the advisor providing a service like you're talking about they are acting on behalf of the client they are disclosing the fee structure they are that's that CFP board of standards that tells us we're looking at the entire picture not just one product you know as you said one Hammer hits, you know, a nail. That's mm-hmm. what you think all the time. It's the person who's really looking at it. The CFP CFP professional is one that is already acting as a fiduciary.
5: Absolutely. What we what we want to do, what we what we what we want to do is have it be all about the client. That's our passion. We're doing it in the right way, following these regulations, whether they've been here, whether they're new. It's all about decline, and that is what we're passionate about,
2: even in compliance. Well, hey, thank you, Tommy. Again, you've been listening to Tommy Armstrong. He's the Director of Compliance at Shoemaker Financial. We've been talking about the Department of Labor and its new fiduciary rule. Well, my production assistant today, a production and board operator, not assistant, the guy that's in charge, Gilworth, does a great job. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moscovich. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. And my guest today, Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We thank you for being a part of today's program. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money.
0: Jim Shoemaker and Tommy Armstrong are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.